Hey everyone, welcome to Age Group to Pro Triathlon Podcast. I'm Kaylee, the pro. And I'm Brian, the age grouper. Our mission is to help people go from confused to confident in their first few triathlons. So let's get started on today's podcast. So good morning, everyone, evening, whatever time you might be listening into this podcast. It is bright and early here for us. We have had an insanely busy week. Um, so we are getting this in and out to you guys within 24 hours. So we're trying to stay with our Wednesdays um, so everyone can listen in. Um, but yeah, what do we kind of have for today? Yeah, a quick turnaround for us this week. Thanks so much for all the support. If you're watching from YouTube, be sure to click the subscribe button. It's a huge help to us and it really helps us out. Today on our fourth podcast, we'll be covering the Texas multi-sport recap, how that went, our doping take with the recent news in pro triathlon. We have a fun segment lined up for everybody called underrated versus overrated in terms of triathlon improvements, what's worth it, what's not. And then we'll get into some of your questions. Be sure to keep asking them on Kaylee's Instagram link tree. It's a huge help to us and we're excited to really just answer them. So where do you want to start? Yeah, I mean, obviously you've had an absurd week. I mean, what, you did four or five races in Texas? Yeah, so the Texas Multisport Festival is really an age group draft legal nationals championship. You can qualify for world championships out there and race in, I believe they do the, the world championships in different spots, but like Hamburg internationally. So it is uh, a week full of fun and intense racing. I mean, it's a little bit of everything, right? I know we we went over a little last week of the different events that you were planning on doing. So, I mean, after doing them, what were some of your favorites? Yeah, it starts with an open water swim, then a super sprint, which is really short. And then the draft legal sprint triathlon was Friday. That was absolutely my favorite. It's the most fun because you're pushing yourself to the limit. Staying on people's feet is really important. And then getting out on the bike and riding in a pack is super important. And then it's very interesting to see what your body does or doesn't have left for the run. So I would say that the draft legal format for the sprint was absolutely the most fun version of a triathlon I've ever done. Have you ever done draft Like, have you raced in a draft event before or was this your first one? I've, I've raced in Claremont, which was another form of draft event. This was bigger. And so, yeah, I mean, this was definitely the, the most purest version of it. So would you say that your bike handling was up to par to be able to jump in from more of the, the non-draft legal style racing into this? Or do you think that you would have liked more practice, more time? Like, how do you think that translated? The bike handling was a non-issue. I mean, we ride, we have a really good bike community here in Athens and I do a lot of draft legal riding here. So definitely get experienced in pack riding if you've never explored that before. The, the biggest thing is the swim. If you show up and your swim isn't really sharp, isn't on par, it's, it's going to be a tough day out. So I would say really, and, and that's the biggest thing for me to work on for next year's draft legal racing is just getting my swim up to a point where I can get out of the water with that front pack. Yeah, I mean, I have never 
personally done any type of draft legal racing and probably won't. I don't have any plans to really do it, but I think that it's pretty cool to probably change it up, um, especially as an age grouper when you have the opportunity to to kind of jump around in different events. So. Yeah, I mean, I think for age groupers out there listening, it feels a lot more like racing versus time trialing. Every 70.3 that I've done feels like you're working to hold the numbers that you set up for yourself in training, but there's not really that racing element. Whereas in the sprint distance and the super sprint distance, the numbers don't matter nearly as much as just engaging with the people around you and truly racing them. So I would recommend for everybody to get out there and try it, especially if you're age group racing. I know Ironman sounds cool, but I had a lot more fun racing in triathlon than than time trialing. Yeah, I think it's like a really cool idea as well as, as we mentioned last week, it's could be a potential way to change up your your training, mix things up and even like put it in as like a B lit a B list race for you. I know for you this was a big one, but if you find local events, it could be fun just to kinda to mix it up. Yeah. And it was also sharpening for St. Anthony's, which we have coming up this weekend. So oh, yeah, we do have a race. <laughs> that's your next professional race. There's there's a prize purse, there's some really big names. Paula Finley won it last year, she'll be racing again. Haley Chura, Grace Alexander, some of the really great swimmers swimming through a, a bay swim, which it's basically an ocean swim. It's really choppy. What are some quick tips or advice that you would give to people who are looking to race either St. Anthony's this weekend or in the future? What were some of your takeaways from the past? Yeah. So on that, this is actually my second triathlon I ever did last year. So this is the first repeat triathlon I've done. So I can kind of gauge a little bit of, uh, increase in performance over the year. I know every day is different. Um, so there is that, but I'm not the best to give advice on swimming, but I think that it was really important getting out there the day before and just getting a taste of the salt water, which literal taste. Yeah. Literal taste. Um, because you definitely feel dehydrated more in the salt water. The waves can mess up your breathing a little bit more. So I think it's really important to get out there. Honestly, if you're there two, three days early, I would go every day and just get in the water. You don't have to swim much, but just kind of getting used to that salt water because it is so much different than a lake swim, river swim, anything yeah. not salty. <laughs> we we aren't the people to give good swim advice, but for those people who are adult learners like us, it are we we have some insights there so you know your center of gravity does change in the salt water slightly so finding that balance point really just learning to time your catch based on when the waves are breaking is really important and then also just thinking about which way you breathe because if the waves are crashing toward shore then breathing toward shore breathing to the right based on st anthony's because you're swimming left to right yeah is, is an advantage. And Kaylee breathes Yeah, and that was actually <laughs> the first time it has ever really kicked me in the butt that I am a dominant swimmer to one side, breathing to one side, and I don't really use the opposite side, which looking back, I regret not doing from the beginning. I should have been bilateral breathing from the start, but here we are. 
And I got out there, started swimming, and the waves just kept slapping me in the face on the side that I was breathing. So oftentimes I would have to go to my bad side, which I would drop my hips, my form would fall apart, or I just like didn't feel comfortable in the water doing that. So I can't say I've necessarily improved on that this year. I have tried to incorporate more with with the pool buoys, but I... Yeah, we're going to see. It was, I, I, I considered quitting triathlon during this swim last year. Um, so I'm hoping I at least get out of the water feeling more confident and still happy to be doing the sports this year. So it's, um, yeah. it's a character building swim. And if you're a great swimmer, if you have experience in, in ocean swimming, it's a great race to do. And if it's not, it's character building. Yeah, but I mean, we're back again. So that tells you how great of a, a race it is. So it's, it's a historic race. It's been going, I think this is the 40th year anniversary. Yeah, it is. There's always a lot of good talent there. You can qualify for age group national, or at least we did last year. You can qualify. It's a nationals qualifying race. And um, as you come in from the swim, the, the waves will bounce off the seawall um, and then the concrete. So it almost pushes you back out. So it's going to be a really tough finish to the swim. Yeah. And then a few other tips on the bike. There's a few speed bumps throughout the course. This knocks off a lot of age groupers' nutrition on the course. So if you're getting out of the water, just as you get toward those speed bumps, pay attention. That way, you know, you don't fall off your bike while racing. But otherwise, it's an extremely fast bike course. Yeah, it's nice and flat. And it's it's an extremely fast run course. I think also on the bike, there at the very beginning, there's cobblestones. Which a little bit, yeah. I know that as racing with age group especially they were pretty wet with everyone getting on their bikes there so I know some people would slip coming in or out so just kind of you know expect to go slow when you go out of transition and also to slow down a good bit coming in because you do not want to hit those going fast yeah and these are tips for any triathlon but for St. Anthony specifically these are some things to really look out for the run is fat it's flat (laughs) not fat it's flat it's fast and the the way we've typically prepared we have the heat of georgia we've also done a few sauna sessions leading into it that way we are ready for the florida heat so sauning is a great way to prepare whenever you're going to a potentially hot race that way an hour and a half in two hours in your body's still able to regulate temperature and heat when you when you get onto that run yeah. So let's talk about the, the hardest topic just briefly. That way we have a take on it out there. Yeah. I mean, it's hot, fresh off the press. So, yeah. So a lot of you may have heard Colin Chartier was banned for doping. So that is taking EPO, enhancing your performance in an illegal banned way. We're not going to give any sort of technical advice on it. We don't know the the last thing about doping. I would say the biggest thing I'll say to anyone out there thinking about it, learning about it, is it's just not worth the health risk. I mean, coming from an age grouper, I mean, you can absolutely have a stroke and it thickens your blood. And if you don't know what you're doing, the health risk of it truly outweighs any sort of marginal performance gain that that you can get out of it yeah i mean 
we thought it would be kind of interesting just to, or at least I did to kind of see what you, you think of it as an athlete, as an age group athlete in particular of, you know, seeing a professional, especially someone who we watched uh, him win us open last year. Um, I mean, it was a crazy race, like him running down to get that spot. So I think, I don't know, like at seeing someone in that kind of spotlight, but from an age group perspective, like how, how does that make you feel as an athlete? I, I would say it, it doesn't make me feel any certain way. Of course, I'm disappointed in the action. I'm disappointed in the athlete of, of Colin for making that decision, but it it's not like Colin was somebody who started the sport last year and started taking EPO. And it's this, there's no magic bullet like training and time that can make you good at the sport. It's not like you, it's not like I could take EPO and have good swim form all of a sudden. It just makes recovery easier. It helps at that top 1%. So I think there's a lot of people reading through the comments of Instagram and things like that everybody's so up in arms and concerned, like maybe my competitors are taking EPO and it's like, that's not what sport is about. Sport is really a personal journey. I didn't go out to beat everybody at all circumstances in Texas. I went out to test myself to see the progress I've made since previous years and hope to keep making that sport and, and compete against people that are also fairly doing it. So if if there, and there's plenty of people out there who have competed in one big titles unfairly, the karma itself is they have to live with that pit in their stomach the rest of their lives. And and that's enough. So I think it's not right what Colin did, but clearing the slate and exiting triathlon is what we can expect and ask of him. And I think like you've said, it's, it's not worth thinking living in a reality where we think that everybody's just cheating. Yeah. I mean, that's to me, one of the biggest issues is that historically (laughs) the reason why athletes end up more and more end up doing things like this is because they get under this impression that everyone else is doing it. And that the only way I can be competitive is to also be doing it. And it's okay that I'm doing it because everyone else is doing it. And I just hope that something like this wouldn't be like the nudge off of the slippery slope of, hey, maybe I need to be doing this because everyone else is. Um, Because, I mean, that's historically how it was. I mean, I know with Lance, it was, oh, everyone in the tour is doing it. Um, With running, like a lot of runners, everyone is doing it. So it's kind of hopefully a slippery slope because I, I, that we aren't going down because triathlon has always held their, their heads high and was like, this isn't something in our sport. We're just hard workers. We don't do that. So I really hope that people are able to look at this as a one-off as hard as that, that might be, but to try their best to kind of say, okay, this is just like a one-off instance. You know, he claims that this isn't some, or he did, he started it before any win. So you know, hopefully that means those performances were clean. And, you know, I think just taking it as we can um, and as everyone else, just kind of making sure to, to play their part of staying clean. And Yeah. And our, our call to action would be stay connected to your why. 
if, if you know why you're in the sport, if you know why you're doing it and you're connected to your own personal journey, then it makes it so much easier to not cheat, to not dope. Because I mean, why, why it's expensive. It has health risks. Why cheat to get ahead in something that doesn't have a, a financial gain? Do you really want bragging rights <laughs> in the triathlon community? And, you know, the, the people who are primed out there suspected that Colin was doping all along. They knew something wasn't right. Josh Amberger said he knew something wasn't right. It felt like he was racing the Ironman and Chartier was racing the sprint at Montreblanc. So just know that if you're connected to why you're doing it for the right reasons, enjoying the journey in the first place, then it, it should keep pros and age groupers alike from going to that darker place of cheating and stealing from other pros and other age groupers who work so hard for the win. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely important to kind of enjoy it. I know for me, I am stepping up into the pro field, knowing that, or at least not expecting some miracle performances to happen this year and maybe not even next year. I know that I, I have to build up and keep working for years to come. I know, you know, you have some all-stars like Matthew uh, Marquette. I'm not sure how to say the last name very well, but you know, his pro debut at Texas uh, Ironman, he got third. So, you know, yeah, there are some, some ways that people just like kind of come from nowhere and are, are really great, but. And we're not accusing him. of that. Oh no, the, no. The, what Kaylee's describing is what's under the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. What's underwater. Kaylee has a 10 year running background. And Matt, he was a, an Olympic trials um, guy for swimming. So. Right. And, and he biked across America. So it's always tough when you see these all stars, but you also have to look under the surface of the glacier to say, well, he's been biking his entire life. He swam for Princeton University. So he had a lot of the ingredients to succeed. So we don't want our minds to always go toward how did they cheat to get ahead? It's just Yeah, the hard work. The sport. Just knowing takes the hard years. work and seeing like or even just expecting it's gonna take years to come. Mm -hmm. Like it's not something that's gonna be quick and and just enjoying it because, you know, I, I don't, I am going into St. Anthony's with the mentality of, I want to win this, but I also know that the reality of it is that if I get, you know, top 10, not top 10, like it's still another learning experience and another opportunity just to like get better. So yeah, and it's a journey. You always know at the end of a race, if you had your best performance, if you got everything out of your body that you could have. And that's a satisfying feeling. Yeah. And even if you don't, even if you're last, or even if you don't get everything out, like you now know where you went wrong and where to work for the next one. So. Yeah. So that's, that's our hot take. It's nothing too serious, but let's get into our next section, section, new section called underrated versus overrated. We'll have some rapid fire questions to Kaylee in terms of triathlon upgrades. If she thinks they are underrated as in people should take advantage of them or they're overrated and they don't help as much as you think. So we'll start in the swim. First, what do you think of a swim skin underrated or overrated? I think a swim skin is going to be overrated. And this is different than a wetsuit, mm -hmm. which I would say 
probably is not underrated, but always use a wet or a, a, we'll a wet suit. So swim okay. skin. Swim skin. Overrated. overrated. Agreed. A wet suit for traveling. Underrated. Important. It's important. Vital. I was going to say, people, if you're an age grouper, you know, like, we are going to be sticking that temperature in. Last moment is as much as you can to make sure we can put a wetsuit on. Yeah. It's like, can be up to eight seconds per hundred faster too. The neoprene's very fast. Worth it. Definitely worth it. All right. So cycling. Uh, upgrading a TT bike from a road bike. Underrated or overrated? I think underrated. I mean, it's an expensive investment, but man, you get so much more speed. So much more speed. Yeah, I I race a brand new Trek Madone road bike and I clip on the aero bars and Kaylee can absolutely smoke me on her TT bike. It's just, it's like hanging on for dear life. TT bikes are just faster in most instances than road bikes. What about gravel to road bike? Underrated or overrated? Oh, this is a hard one because I don't have experience really with it. Um, I think... I think think overrated. I think if you're doing some gravel and you're like, do I need a pure road bike for racing? Then, yeah, you can get away with the gravel bike and just swap tires. So you think it's... I think it's it's also overrated. Overrated. Yeah, you don't need to upgrade your gravel to a road bike, at least right away. Which brings me to the next point would be um, aero bar clip-ons, overrated or underrated? Um, I think this is uh, clip-ons for a road bike. Yeah. So I would say that they are, I think they're overrated. Overrated. You don't think they're necessary. I think, okay, for what distance? Like if you're going to be going half iron up, I don't even think they're that for an Olympic. I don't know. They, they are def. they're probably the most important thing you can do to your road bike. In terms of a speed upgrade, if you're not going from road okay. bike to TT bike, I guess that's true. Like if you're if you're not going to step up to the newer bike, it's it's the cheaper next step in it for in between. Yeah, so. super important. Yeah, I mean, I got I them even, for my first half iron, so I, I didn't think you would have qualified for worlds without them. That's true. So very underrated, very important. Okay, let's go to running. There's not much here, so how about uh, carbon shoes versus trainers? Oh, I mean, we've talked about these. It's that speed threshold. I would say they are probably more. Ooh, I think they're probably more overrated. Coming from a runner. That's that's a hot take. I, I think that they truly make me faster. It makes it easier for me to run faster. But, you know, for most for most people, they're probably overrated. Yeah, I would say the cushion's more important. You, you want to have good legs running off the bike something that'll help your legs hold up. A lot of them just have good cushion. So you could find good cushion in a non-carbon plated shoe. That's true. I always have like aches and stuff from them though after racing, which yeah, they you know, your that can come from anything. And it's not, I don't know, it wouldn't be worth like compromising like training with some aches and pains after them. So. Hot take, contrarian view, overrated carbon shoes. Uh, good tri-suit versus bad tri-suit, overrated or underrated? Oh, I'm going to go again with most people probably overrated. I think the biggest thing you get is comfort. Like and fit. Yeah. I mean, speed maybe, but I, I think 
I think comfort is more of a thing, but like, honestly, you can start out with a, not like a cheap one. I think you can. Yeah. Make sure it's tight. So yeah, it's just not make like sure a, it's tight. a parachute in the wind. And then final one, aero helmet versus starter helmet. Overrated, underrated. I would say definitely overrated. I mean, if you're just trying to finish, maybe, yeah. Yeah, I just, I mean, they're not that comfortable. They apparently they don't always fit people right. Like everybody has a different one that fits their style, riding their head. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think that it's a a worthy upgrade for a while. And I thought of another one: electronic shifting versus mechanical shifting. Underrated, overrated. I'm gonna have to say underrated because I even underrated it myself coming in. So, yeah, as in you really like it now that you. Oh have my it. gosh! Like I think I never I had mechanical shifting for a really long time, and I raced with mechanical shifting for like my first few triathlons, but then. Upgraded to the TT bike, made the extra investment into the electronics, and I could absolutely never go back now. So, yeah, fair enough. We'll end it there. So, that's our underrated versus overrated segment. If we said underrated, it means it's worth it. If we said it's overrated, it means it's not worth it. So, let's get into some quick questions for this week. We have some really good ones. First is from Sophie. How do you manage down weeks from training? How do you make sure that you settle down from those hard pushes and you take the rest of the week without going crazy? Yeah, I I feel like you could learn like two big points from this. One, if you're going a little stir crazy in your down week, maybe you could be doing a little more (laughs) on your up weeks because I know that I... The Sunday on my last up week, I'm just like waiting for that down week to come along. Like I, and I take every day and just I'm like basking in the sun of not having to do so many hours of training and working my body out to like its limits. So I think that maybe you could be adding a little more intensity or like a little extra volume to volume days um, if you're getting stir crazy by the end of a, a rest week. Um yeah. And and I would say, you know, it's the 80-20 rule where 70 to 80% of all of your workouts, even in up weeks, the intensity is light. It's aerobic. It's easy. Yeah. So learning to keep your easy days easy so you can really smash the hard days. The hard can be harder is so key. And if you look at the, the training schedule as 16 weeks or 52 weeks, you know that having that light down week is going to make such a bigger difference in your growth and development for the, for the up weeks when you get back into it. Oh yeah. I mean, if you honestly like blocking out time of resting on rest week can also be really important and like something you can kind of, if you're somebody who is a schedule holic and has to keep a schedule, like schedule in 30 minutes of resting, 30 minutes of stretching, you know, you can do an extra session or two of core. Like if you want to add in a few things, you can add things that are going to aid in your recovery. And then just remembering that this time is to kind of soak in what you just put in on your body, as well as prepare you for putting even more in like in the next few weeks. So yeah. And and rest week just means less, but it doesn't mean there's no intensity. We still have 
hour up sessions, we still have harder runs, deliberate, you know, workouts. So it doesn't, it doesn't mean to take off the entire week. So we still keep our intense days a little more intense than our rest days. And we keep our rest days a little lighter than our other rest days. There's still no days off. So hope that helps Sophie. Just a few points to think about. Our next question is from Megan. Hey, Kaylee, would love to know how your training schedule changed from when you were competing in age group versus pro. Hours, number of workouts. So Megan is a full-time RN here, trying to get the most quality in under 14 hours per week with the focus of age group sprint and Olympic distance. Cool question. Yeah, I mean, I think 14 hours is more than enough time for uh, sprint and Olympic sized or distance races. So um, yeah, you definitely can, can do really well with 14 hours in those um, distances. I think to start with the, the first part of the question, right. kind of where I changed, I would say for me, I didn't necessarily have some crazy jump. I like slowly progressed my hours over the course of a year. So there was never like a, age group now pro I have to add five six hours onto my schedule it was something that just kind of like slowly grew to where it was um I know I saw like a, a post from a year ago where I was complimenting myself on hitting I think it was like two or three 15 hour weeks back to back I and thought it, it, I thought your post said hit my first 13 hour week. No, it was a 15. It was, it was a 15 hour okay. week, but it was not like I had hit it for, I think it was two weeks in a row. I had hit 15 hours for two weeks in a row. And, you know, a year later, I think I just, for my big block, I was at 21, 22, 23 back to back to back. So that was, you know, I guess, you know, I guess that's up to eight hours difference from where I was as an age grouper a year ago to now. But again, that was not, that has been very, very, very slow progression of just adding 15 minutes here and there on a run. Um, the, the key here is Kaylee was already training very similarly to a pro in order true. to win yeah, in those age there. group races in order to get to a pro. So that gradual progression was over time, it wasn't a flip of a switch like her elite car didn't allow her to train more. Very little actually changed. Just maybe yeah. your mentality in workouts, your focus level in workouts. Yeah, even setting goals a little bit more strictly, I think is something I did differently before I kind of was just like, let's see how this goes. Like I'm getting better. This is really cool. Whereas now I kind of, I do have goals for the end of the year where I would like to see my, my progress to be and, so yeah, I think goals is probably my biggest thing that changed between age group and pro. Yeah. When, when limiting hours and as someone who works full-time as an age grouper, that's what I do. There's a very big difference. Just one example here between an hour and 30 long run and an hour and 30 long run where you're doing two miles on at a six minute per mile pace and then one mile off at a seven minute per mile pace. So it's the same amount of time for in that 14 hour schedule but the intensity will gain more adaptations in your up weeks, Megan. So, yeah, I think that's a really good idea that I never, I, I didn't ever think about. Like I used to do long runs as a time thing and just going out and doing it. 
now we do kind of incorporate longer workouts into it. Like you said, two, two miles on one mile off every now and then we'll do like a six mile tempo, take one, two miles off and then do one mile really hard. So I think that incorporating a little more tempo work into long runs can help maximize that time. Or threshold. Yeah. Yeah. Not not just tempo. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you're getting a little bit of speed work as well as getting that endurance base building. So yeah. Based on your goals, having 14 hours is phenomenal. It's really, how are you recovering? Is the balance of intensity correct? And are you consistently doing it week in and week out? And I think you'll hit your goals, Megan, on that. So yeah. And that one last point, that was a good one is if 14 hours is maxing you out where you have no time to recover, um, then maybe even just taking off an hour or two to give yourself a little more recovery time can also really help with progression. Um, So beating yourself into the ground isn't always the best either. So Yeah, definitely. You always want to have one more bullet in the chamber, one little extra push. If if you're on your, on that edge looking over and you cross over, then yeah, you're going to overtrain and it's going to just compound that fatigue. So we have one final question for the day from Mackenzie. Mackenzie is a cross country athlete in college. That sounds familiar. And she's wondering how you transition from running to triathlon. She's about to graduate and she wants to start training for triathlon while in graduate school. Everything I see online is for people with, for complete beginners, but I'm used to having a high training load and I know how to bike and swim. Yeah. I mean, this is actually a question that I get a lot and I am definitely biased towards those who, who came from a running background. Um, so, you know, I think it's awesome that you have a bike and swim experience prior because I did not. I had like only ridden a bike as like a very small child and had never really swam before. So, you know, you're already off to a really, really great start with that. And I think that one of the biggest tips that I would have, you know, seeing you having somewhat of a background in the other two is that do not overtrain your running. Because I know before I had a coach going into it, I was leaning on running a lot more and I was still keeping my volume really high and honestly compromising some of my other workouts for running because, you know, that's my comfort. That's what made me happy. That was kind of like, that was just comfortable to me. So I think first making sure you like one great tip would be If you have a hard bike workout and a hard run workout, as well as long bikes with long runs, always choose to do your bike first. Like I do my long bike on Saturday and then I do my long run on Sunday. The same thing with hard workouts. I do my hard bike workout on Tuesday, my hard track session on Wednesday. So with that, I'm not compromising my bike for my run. Like I'm always making sure that you know, I go really hard, smash my legs on the bike and then kind of give what I have the next day on my run, knowing that I kind of already have that in my back pocket. So I think that would be one really good tip as well as, you know, I'm only doing 35 to maybe 45 miles a week of running. So as a runner, you may be used to 60, 70 mile weeks coming from a collegiate background. So I think you know, taking that time and putting it towards the other sports is definitely important to, 
to be able to like really grow as a triathlete. Yeah. And another thing, so when I was just running, I was 12 pounds lighter than I am in triathlon. We incorporated a really important strength routine into our week to also build that strength aspect. Was that something that changed going from just running into triathlon? Um, yeah, I guess like, would you say more of the, just like the strength building side of it? Um, I would say for me, I actually got into lifting a lot before triathlon. So I actually had switched from running to more of lifting. So I, I kind of got to where like, I was, you know, consistently lifting weights for like three years. So I think that having that in your routine is super important. And also, you know, actually squatting, putting in the leg press and like putting weight on your legs can, I think, if anything, expedite your process on the bike, that would be it. Because, and injury prevention. Yeah, injury pre prevention. But I think as runners, we are used to doing kind of wimpy um, stabilizing type exercises, which that is great injury pre prevention. And you should still probably keep up with some of those. But now I am like a little more aggressive with my legs and, you know, will feel sore from lifting. Whereas in college, I never felt sore after a lifting. So. And what about preparing for the extra hours that go into triathlon versus running? Any advice there for Mackenzie? Um, I guess in what way? Like preparing? Well, at the most you were putting, I mean, if you put in 10 hours of running. Oh, I guess that, okay, yeah. So you can actually do so much more time when you're doing triathlon because, you know, swimming is not putting any pressure on your legs and joints, and then biking is pretty minimal. So... I think that expecting you can really ramp up way more training than you ever did with just running. So I think that allocating those times and just knowing that, you know, if you're ready to, to increase, make sure you're increasing those hours towards biking and swimming. And like I said, just like, honestly, you may have to back off of running for a little bit because I, I had to do it. It was not an easy switch. And when I first started working with that coach, I was like, I will not compromise my, my running time. Like this is how much running I want to do. And I was kind of burning myself down because I was running way too much. And we ended up cutting like one run that I was doing every week and just like even taking time off of the run. So yeah, it's, it was a big switch with running, but and the final piece I heard was coach. So Mackenzie said, everything online is for complete beginners. We work with a coach who coaches elite level professional triathletes. So if you want to shortcut your way right into some advanced, complicated sessions, hire a coach or get a coach to at least build you a training plan because that's not going to just be found online and that can really help you balance it out. It sounds like you're a talented athlete like Kaylee, whereas I wasn't, but it's so easy to overtrain yourself when you go from one sport to three. Yeah. Was, especially if you have had a, a schedule and are used to hard training. Yeah. And, and you're used to pushing yourself because now you're pushing yourself in three sports. I was laying up in bed with heart palpitations, overtrained. My body was not responding and it was a lot lower intensity for a lot of the workouts than I thought it would be. But in turn, that helped me 
up the hours and, and make the progress that I was looking for. Yeah. So. But I mean, you're at a really great start. As I tell every runner who reaches out to me that's interested in triathlon, like I, I think triathlon has been the greatest sport. And if you have a running background, it's a hundred percent worth trying. Even if you have never swam a, a freestyle stroke in your life, like it's, it's definitely worth like getting into and just trying. And if you have any background in the other two, then, you know, you're really set for success and just be prepared to put in the work and it may take a couple of years, but I mean, you're young, so you have a lot to, to improve on. Yeah. It's a journey of it's to sum up what Kaylee said, lowering the ego, um, upping the hours, maybe working with a coach. And then the thing I see from living with her is consistency is key. This won't happen in three weeks. This won't happen in 12 weeks. This won't happen in a year the progress comes a bit slower because you're spreading yourself over three sports. So if you're consistent, you'll absolutely make the transition and have a love for learning because we have learned a thousand new things and it feels like we're just on the, on the tip of the iceberg with, with learning and traveling. Yeah. Race day is a whole nother, whole nother thing going from running to setting up a transition. Cause you show up to a run race, lace up, you put some shoes on and you just go and that's pretty much it. So that's right. Thanks everyone so much for your questions. Keep them coming. We're doing this weekly, as you can see, no matter what, no matter how late my flight is getting in. <laughs> we'll talk about that another time, maybe. Yeah. So let's wrap up. Yeah. Yeah. So we will be back next week and have some race updates for everyone. So yeah, that's right. Thanks everybody. If you're at St. Anthony's, be sure to say hello. Yeah. Catch you then.